Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Bless God. I feel like we're all far away. I don't know. Can can some people fill in a little bit? Like that, you know, there's room. People can't see or something, but there's room. So come in. Yes, yes, good, good, good. I like it. Thank you, Jesus. It's family. Thank you, Father. So um, my the title of my message, which I don't want you to be afraid of, okay? Okay. It's especially cults. Is cults in the room? <laughs> no. You, oh, he's right there. I texted in my notes this morning. I was like, cult, I promise you, it's not about you. It, the title is Humility, a Donkey's Cult. So, <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'm not qualified to speak on humility, but we still need to hear it. So I'm, I'm going to teach it to myself too, okay? Is that okay? All right. And I want each of you to know that I love you very much. So if it cuts or hurts, it's not because I'm pointing you out, right, cult, like that, you know? It's nothing like that. It's more like, um, you know, we all need to be confronted with some stuff, right, at times. Okay, so it's I love you, I love each one of you, and I want to see everyone grow, unbelievably. I mean, last week I was so blessed... Beverly gave me this picture that she had of me. She says, I was in front of like the the gates going into heaven. And I was like, you're all getting in, but you have to change this way or do that different or something. But I was like, you're getting in. You're getting in. There's nobody left behind. You're getting in. But sometimes we need, hey, wake up. You know, that's not the way we're going to go in. We need to be clean, right? Amen. Okay. So, um, all right. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5 through 9. Okay. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, a bond servant, Ah. and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to the death of the cross, to the death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Now, can you imagine being a king and leaving your domain and coming to earth in human form? Like, who would do that? Would I do that? I don't know. But he chose to do it. He humbled himself when he was yet in heaven. And you know what I love about this? He knew he was a son, but it wasn't his final destination. 
being a son or being a daughter. Like he was a son of God, but it wasn't the end for him. He knew he had to come and serve his father's desire, which was wanting everybody. And the only way was the lamb of God to be slain. And he knew what he was coming for. Could you imagine like making that decision of humility to do that? Like that, that's just, it blows my mind that he would do that. He came to earth to see his father's desire come to pass. He literally did not live for himself, but he had you and I in mind. So Christ is the expression of the humility of God embodied in human form. Humility, now I'm just going to give you an understanding. Humility is not low self-esteem. Okay, it's not like I'm berating myself. It's not self-loathing. It's not the opposite of confidence. The opposite of humility is pride. But you still know who you are when you're humble. See, he knew he was the son of God, but that didn't stop him from saying, no, because I know I'm the son of God, I'm going to do this. I don't have to stay as king. Okay, so as we're going through this message, just think of how it applies even for your own life. Now, we're setting Jesus as the standard right there. If humility was the secret of Jesus' atonement on the cross, which led to his exaltation, we can't bypass this attribute. Right? Galatians 6, when it talks about the fruits of the Spirit, meekness is one of them. And meekness there means humility. Okay, so I wonder if this is not the chief quality we need to strive for. Does our spiritual health and strength depend upon us walking out in the humility of Christ? So I have a quote here from Andrew Murray. He says, meekness and lowliness of heart are to be the distinguishing features of a disciple. Uh, he's from the 1800s. I love his books. You know, anyone that did the intercession class with me last year, right, we did a lot of Andrew Murray, too, on intercession. He, he just took apart the scriptures in such a way that was so beautiful. All right, now we're going to turn to Luke 22. This is um, right after the, the, the Last Supper, which is why I think it's hilarious. After the Last Supper, look what these disciples are doing, right? Jesus is telling them, so I'm going to die. And, uh, you know, th things are changing. Luke 22, uh, I'm going to probably, it's 24 is where they, okay. But before that, he's telling them all the Lord's Supper. He's saying, okay, truly the Son of Man is going to go, you know, is determined and, and he's, he's going to die, all these things. And you know what their response is after that? Verse 24, now, there was also a dispute among them. Can you imagine? He just is telling them, like, hey, this is my body, which is broken for you, and da-da-da. And the disciples, okay, there's hope for me, right? Maybe there's hope for you, too, because, like, if the disciples have these issues, they're disputing now. After he's saying, this is my body broken for you, and this is the blood, and, and now they're disputing who's the greatest, Okay? Now there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Did they miss it? Right? Okay. And we keep going. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. 
um, and they're called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs is he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? And this is, this is what I love, what Jesus speaks about himself. Yet I am among you as the one who serves. Okay. I am among you as the one who serves. So Jesus left his throne, entered into heaven meekly and humbly to serve us. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the Pharisees a little bit. The Pharisees, you know, they were the ones who were the leaders in, in the scriptures, and they knew what they were doing, and they were the religious crowd. And I, I'll just read Matthew 23. Actually, we should go there. Matthew 23 from verse 5. Okay, and it's talking all about the Pharisees here. Jesus is talking. It's in the red. But all their works they did to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called Rabbi, Rabbi. Okay, and then if you just drop down, it keeps talking about it. And then he says, verse 11, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here we are. Okay, you want to exalt yourself? That equals you'll be humbled. <laughs> you want to humble yourself? You know, that, that equals that you will be exalted. So the greatest among you will be the servant. Charles Spurgeon says that humility is the proper estimate of oneself. When you know who you are. So cool. So Jesus is our savior and leader. He served others. He led by example. We can never outgrow waiting on tables giving to people, uh, giving of ourselves. There's so many opportunities. Marriage is a place that you really learn to grow in this area. Raising children. I thought I was a selfless person. I did. And then when I had a child that was completely dependent upon me, and then you had to wake up in the middle of the night, and everything was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like, I remember this is Mother's Day, but right? I remember this like 30 years ago in the apartment we lived in. And I was like, I think I'm really selfish, huh, God? Like, is this the way that you chose to make it like real to me? Like, this is so um, okay, Jesus, drive it out of me. And he will. He will bring circumstances in your life to drive out things that you don't know are there. But as a disciple of Christ, one that stays on the potter's wheel, he will always make those opportunities for your life. And he has an exact prescription for what each one needs. Because what I need to help me to stay on that and be on that and get on that lower, lower still is different than what you need. But he will give that exact thing that you need. And, um, and I think the first time I really had the wake-up call in that was probably when I became a parent. Um, yeah. So it's a good way, an opportunity to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Patience. It's not about living for me. Even accepting a call into the ministry. It's not 
it's not about me. It's like, okay, Jesus, I'm taking up the cross, but I'm doing it with delight and joy. Ha ha. Thank you, Jesus. And, and it's so important, you know, um, to keep at this because you don't know in your life, like, where you're going to be. Wonderful to get this in the roots of your foundation from now. Don't think, oh, like, when I'm rich, then one day I'm going to serve the poor and help them. It's, gotta, it's in the foundation from now. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Perfect and undefiled religion is this, right? That you take care of the widows and the orphans. So it's like, let's do these things and practice from now. Thank you, Lord. Woof. Okay, servanthood. All right, we're going to go to Matthew verse 20. I mean, Matthew 20, chapter 20. This is, uh, we, we went to, we were in 23, Matthew 23 talking about the Pharisees. Now we're going to go backwards to Matthew 20, uh, verse 25. Oh, we got to go to verse 20. Here we go. This is the second account. It's so crazy. Here we go. The mother of Zebedee, she came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? So she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine, this is Mother's Day, right? <laughs> May sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And her two sons said to her, oh, yes. Yes, we're able. We're able. Yeah. We're always fighting about who's the greatest, and we're able. See, sometimes when I talk to people, it's like I'm whacking you. I know that. It's like I'm a mom whacking sometimes. So that's why I said, don't be upset with me, right? Colt's laughing because he knows it. He sees me with people all the time. He's like, how did you get away with saying that? Like, I've said things to some people. But I truly, I am not doing it for anything else. But I want to see spiritual maturity, and I want to see growth, and I want to see everybody get into the kingdom. And some of our ways got to be knocked off of us. Okay. Okay, so where were we? 23? Yeah, so you're going to get whacked today. Okay. You will indeed drink my cup. Okay. In, um, but, all right, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom is prepared by my Father. And here we go, the rest of the disciples. Oh, boy. Verse 24. And when the ten heard of it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Here we go, fighting in the camp again. These are the disciples that changed the world, turned the world upside down, and they were fighting amongst themselves. Always, who's the greatest one? You know, like I, I, I raised two sons, right? So, well, three kids, but two sons. And the funny thing was, is it was like um, Therese Engel gave them this word. The first one to the cross wins. Okay. So that means, like, if you're in a fight, let, you know, let the other one win, because the first one to the cross wins, right? So they were in a heated basketball, two people, you know, just the both of them. And the one told the other, I'm letting you win. You know, the first one. <laughs> I'm letting you, you know, have that. 
the first one to the cross wins. I'm giving you that opportunity. They, I can believe it. They switched even that around. Like, you know. So, yes, yes, yes. There was fighting in the camp. They were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Oh my gosh. So before we were talking about, now we're at slave? Now we're at slave. So the equation is first is slave. And the other equation is great is servant. Greatly displeased, disputing. These are our disciples. You know, sometimes we can say things aren't fair. I don't want to turn the other cheek. You know, we abdicate our rights as servants. And we, yeah, and that forgiveness thing, oh my goodness. We, don't, we gave up our right when we became believers to, to hold on to unforgiveness. Yeah. Serve the people God put in front of you. Serve at work. Christ's leadership training model is be a servant and be a slave. Oh, my gosh. We are so far from this. Wow. Okay. We'll, we'll look at Jesus again. Let's look at Jesus better than, you know, the disciples. He's, he's going to be our model. We'll go back to 21, Matthew 21, a lot of Matthew today. And this is uh, the triumphal entry, verse 2. So um, Jesus is speaking, and he's telling his disciples, this is, so it's before the Last Supper, right? Okay. As you enter in, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, saying the Lord has need of them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. What is a donkey's colt? <laughs> it is a colt is a young male donkey which is less than four years of age, okay? It's a young, young donkey. Yeah. All right. And then um, in Mark, I'm just going to, the same account in Mark just adds another piece to it, which I wanted to read. So Mark 11 from verse 1. It says, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring in here. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord will, needs it and will return it soon. I like that. They'll return it soon. They're not stealing. They're returning it. But, you know, okay, that's not the, but the point I wanted to make is nobody ever wrote on it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No one ever wrote on it. Okay. So that's uh, no one ever sat on that donkey. Hmm. 
Yet objects of sacred purposes must never have been used for any other purpose. And the cult was consecrated for the master. The cult <laughs> was consecrated for the master. <laughs> Amen. So no one ever sat on it. Thank you, Jesus. Um, cult, uh, donkeys are known for their patience, their gentleness, intelligence, and meek submission. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And remember, if you remember the story in the Old Testament uh, about Balaam's donkey, he saw the angel with the drawn sword and three times moved out of its way when Balaam was blinded by the prospect of a bribe. Money blinds us. The love of money, the root of all evil. Uh-oh. Okay, so I'll just read just that little portion. You don't even have to turn to it, but if you want, it's in Numbers 22. Um, the angel is speaking to Balaam and says, Why did you beat your donkey those three times? The angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. So the donkey was the most common form of transportation in, the, in those days. It could carry heavy loads as well as people. Richer farmers used oxen and camels for transportation. But Jesus decided to take a donkey. Now, it wasn't because he took a donkey that he was humble, but he made that decision in his transportation, say, I am going to take the donkey. Just even in us, too, it's like these are things like, what do we choose? What do we choose, right? Um, thank you, Lord. Okay. And then Zechariah 9.9, we read that it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would ride the donkey. So Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble. Riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt, it says in the NLT translation. It's prophesied 400 years before it happened. God's ways are so different from our ways. It's not what I would have chosen, right? I mean, men, men expected a conquering king, and his means of transportation was not very regal. I, I, I sat with this, like, the, it was about the week before... Um, uh, Palm Sunday, and I, um, I was just reading this stuff about the donkey, and I know some of you heard me, because I was kind of, it just blew my mind, and I was like, a donkey? Like, why would you want a donkey? Why? And it was like, God, let me be the donkey, like, that you could ride in. Can I be the donkey that you could ride on? That I'm not going to be a pompous, another word for donkey is ass, you know? But that I would just be like to allow your glory. Let it not be me. Let no attention go to me. Let it all go to the king. Um, we could just look at the story in Esther 6.6, 6, you know, the whole story about um, 
when Mordecai was going to be exalted and the king asked uh, the king asked Haman, well, how should we, how, what should we do to someone that we, the king wants to exalt? And Haman thought it was, oh, it's me. You know, it's me. Right? So Esther 6.6, 6, it starts out, what shall be done for the man the king likes to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight in more than me? And Haman answered the king, oh, for the man the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn. And a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let his robe, this robe and the horse be delivered to the hands of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man with the king's delight to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, this shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse and do what you suggested, but do it for Mordecai. What was that, the, the analogy, right? If you want to be first, you got to be slave, you know, all that stuff, right? Okay, here we go. This is, you know, the first shall be last. And mm -hmm. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and laid him on horseback through the city square, proclaimed before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Okay. The donkey was an animal of peace. The horse was an animal of war. How appropriate for our Christ, our king, to ride on an ass, on a donkey, for his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Okay. God, help me to be a donkey. Yeah. And remember, it's not that it's the self-loathing. It's not that you lack confidence. It's knowing the right estimation of who you are. Okay. So enough um, with these disciples. We'll, we'll move on to someone else. All right. We'll move on to John the Baptist. So John. Let's go to John chapter 3, verse 22. And as we're reading this portion of scripture, you could contrast it to the way the disciples were acting and how John the Baptist was acting. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was baptizing in Aeonian near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute. Oh boy, another dispute. Between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you testify, behold, he's, bap he's baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it was given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who hears him rejoices greatly. Oh, wait. He, I'm sorry. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. 
Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Okay, so when I used to read this, he must increase, I must increase. I'm thinking, okay, uh, he's got to increase in my life and less, you know, I got to decrease. But I believe he was speaking about everybody leaving him. And they were following Jesus now. And not, and not, you know, they weren't coming to him as much to be discipled. It was like, oh, someone has stolen my ministry or my portfolio. Or, come on, let's go there. Let's go there. You know, there are things in our lives that come, and it says, but, but, but John knew, he understood, he said, nothing, where do you say, nothing can be uh, except from what God does. Where, where is that? <laughs> Okay, there you go. A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. Wow. John knew who he was. He knew he was the one coming before Christ to point the way to Christ, but it wasn't like his ministry was supposed to last forever and ever. Yeah. Wow, but he's saying he's rejoicing because he is the friend of the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom doesn't get the bride. Jesus is the bride, and as the church body, we are the bride of Christ. And Jesus gets the bride. I don't get the bride. You don't get the bride. Jesus gets the bride. And it's men and women, children, it's everyone. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. So God, help us to have this right estimation, this right understanding. Even John's disciples didn't have that revelation at the time because they were disputing too. Remember, another dispute. Okay, but he, he didn't do it for fame or for money. John was called. He didn't do it for any other reason, but the Lord called him. And Jesus says of John, there is no one great, no greater man on earth born of a woman. He didn't say that about anybody else but John the Baptist. No greater man on earth no, uh, born of a woman than John the Baptist. So we really could take a lesson from him in that understanding. He excuse me, he knew who he was. All right, now we'll look at Paul. Romans 1.1. 1, 1. I think Rich used the scripture maybe last week. Maybe. Okay. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. All right. There's Paul, a bondservant. He got it. Slave. Eey, ouch. Ouch. Right? Okay. He knew who he was. He was a servant. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten in prison. The cost of true discipleship. <laughs> It's not a paycheck that keeps you coming back. It's the call. And this was, this was the call on his life. Yeah. It's the love of the Lord that keeps you going in this. And many of you are called to different things, different arenas, different areas. And there are challenges that come, but you've got to go back to God. Am I called to this? Am I called to still be a teacher in public school? Am I called to be a nurse still? Am I called to be, you know, a portfolio manager? Whatever it is, am I called to this? Because times come that challenge like you're calling, like 
can I really stick this out, God? Like the tough, it's tough, you know, and you got to go back to God. Did you want me here? Then I know your grace is going to be sufficient for me. Help me to be the donkey that you could ride on into this industry, into this sphere, whatever it looks like. Okay, as a church, we have um, eight core values. They're hanging on the hallway as you're going to the bathroom. Okay, one of them is humble generosity. And uh, one of the scriptures that's, that we prayed about, that we included for, this, um, for that core value, is Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Um, okay, I'll read NIV says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. New King James says, instead of humility, it says, in, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Thank you, Jesus. So if you didn't know what our core values are, you can go and check that. And you see, this is the whole thing. We want to serve, right? We want to be there. Most of the time, people are too caught up in, well, what's my identity? This is my identity. What's my identity? You know, Sandor, that we're not taking that step to actually serve. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> serve. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Uh, oh, this is a good one. All right, we're going to go to John 13, verse 3. This is when Jesus starts to teach them even more about what servanthood looks like between them, between the disciples, at least to start. John 13, verse 3. Yeah, and this was after the Lord's Supper. Yep, supper being ended. Okay, Jesus knowing. Let me pull here. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, use a towel, and girded himself. After that... He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and he was like, Lord, you're washing my feet. Don't just do this. Oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Thank you. It's all right. Thanks. I got it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Lord, are you washing my feet? What do you do? You don't understand, but you will know afterwards. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. And so Simon Peter said, not just my feet, my head, my hands, everything. He who is bathed needs only to clean his feet, and you're completely clean. Okay. So in verse 15, then you go back, go down to verse 15, or 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Okay. I'm telling you this. I'm, I'm not just speaking to you. It's speaking to me too. 
okay? This is for all of us to grow in. How do we learn to do this, to wash each other's feet? How do we do this with your family members, people that you work with? God, how do we do this? To take up a towel and serve those around us. A few weeks ago, my husband spoke, and he said, when Jesus came, he didn't come to make you happy. We are to be dead to self. That's what true discipleship is. is take up your cross, follow him. It's not about you're going to get everything on your wish list. It's not, it's not discipleship. It's not going to help you weather the storms. You might not get everything on your wish list, but are you going to follow the Lord? Uh-oh. You know, when Jesus spoke some of these things, like he lost everybody. You know, it's like, oh, where did they all go? <laughs> you know? And then he turned to his disciples, but he's like, are you going to leave too? You know, the 12 saying, like, you going to leave too? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, for this word. So when we, when we do this for our families, for people around us, when we do it in private, no one sees. It's more indicative of our servant's heart than anything else. What we do in the quiet. Yeah. Okay. And it's not to be done out of duty. I did that. It's to be done out of love. Okay, and, I, and I, I remember years back the Lord taught me this. Oh, and it was, it was a good lesson because it grew me up. So um, my mother-in-law was, um, when she was 87 years old, she started, she got really sick. And everyone in the home, um, the family, all Bill's brothers and sisters, they all worked outside the home. But I was the only one that didn't at the time. So until everybody was figuring it out, I took her in. So we turned my living room into a bedroom, and I said yes to it, you know, out of duty. <laughs> out of duty, okay. And, um, and then when you say yes to something, that means you say no to other things, right? Okay, so I was before that, oh, I would... I had Bible studies in my home that I loved to have, all these women come into my home. I served at church in my children's school. I was always there, and I had a great life, you know? And then, oh my gosh, like we didn't even hire an aide, not once. So I was bathing, cleaning, cooking, watching the three kids, and it was like, okay, like, I, you know, I came home, I dropped him off to school real quick, and I have to run right home because I didn't know how she was going to be. I come home, the pot was on, like, you know, there was nothing in it, and it would have burnt. You know, it just, it just, I was only five minutes away. Anyway, it just, I just learned it was a shift. And then at some point in this, it shifted from duty to love. And it, when it went to the love thing, I fell in love with my mother-in-law. Like, I, I always loved her and really appreciated her. She, she took me in. Oh, God. I wasn't planning to share this part of the story, but I, I can for just a minute. Um, we had, when, when we got saved, Bill and I, oh, God, I was 19, and... He was, I don't know, 22. So my family didn't appreciate it at all. They hired a deprogrammer to deprogram me. 
and there there was a lot there was a lot going on but Bill's mother stood the test with this thing she kept saying no no this is you know she stood by me and she stood by us and she really so you can understand how I loved her really deeply but it was still a duty I it, and then when it shifted to love I what happened was I was learning the servanthood of the Lord in such a way that I never really embraced it before. Like when you when it costs you something, when you have to give something up to really take that towel, it just it it opened up a whole new realm. I fell in love with the elderly at that time. Just loved them, honored them, just saw it like anything, anything she needed. And God led us on this journey of her whole life and just asking forgiveness from people that had died so many years prior. It was just such a beautiful time. But God did more in my heart than too, you know. So what could look like a detour in your life, take another look and ask the Lord, is this, is this a, a vehicle for me to learn servanthood? Is this a vehicle for me to learn Christ-likeness in a way I never would have known before? So towards the end of her time in my home, she said to me, Tammy, no one ever has to know how close we really are. It, it was like the rewards of serving her far outweighed any momentary inconvenience. Um, there's a quote from InterVarsity. It's a college ministry. Servanthood is not about how I can add value to my life, but about how I can add value to yours. So the towel is the symbol of servanthood that we see in the scriptures. In its truest form, it's motivated by compassion and love and not duty. And when you have eyes of compassion, then you see the world differently. Remember, Jesus could look as he was going the triumphal entry, riding on that donkey. He saw Jerusalem and wept because he was seeing it with, with the light of like, these people have a need they don't even know of. There's a servanthood that opens your eyes to something that nothing else can until you take that towel. And no one can do it for you. You've got you've to develop this in your own heart. It can't be somebody lay hands on you and you get it. Not, not this. You, it can't be imparted. You can feel a conviction of the Lord leading you into it. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Okay. Andrew Murray again, he said, we have very little concept of what the church suffers as a result of its lack of humility. When you think about it, you're a Christian, and your life is a witness to the world of what Christ looks like and what humility really is. So we need to present it well. Okay. I have a little, 
I made up like a little gauge, a humility gauge for us. So I have like four questions to ask yourself. All right. And then, okay, that's just between you and the Lord. You know, you just do an internal here. Okay. All right. It's a humility gauge. It won't be up on the screen, but I'll, I'll just read them to you. Number one, the humble person feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before them. Ouch. Romans 12, 15 through 16. This is where this one comes from. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not send your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Okay. Can I rejoice, Lord, with those that are rejoicing? Or am I jealous or envious? Ugh. Like those disciples. But there's hope for me. <sighs> Number two. Is there a pride accompanied with our holiness that we can't see? like that pharisaical thing. And this is the scripture for it. John 13, th starting from verse 3. Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there who showed up in church once a year, right? Okay. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes towards heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I'm a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that was Luke 18, 9 through 14. So is there a Pharisaical attitude within us that commends us to ourselves? Oh, I'm okay. <laughs> okay, the greatest holiness comes with the deepest humility. Do we consider others better than ourselves, even if they are a thieving tax collector? Ugh. Number three. It's really quiet in here, so I don't know if it's like, ah, okay. Do you look at trying situations as an invitation and means of grace to humble you? Okay, this one knocked me this week. And I'm so so Paul. We all know about Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? In, instead of continuing to pray, God take this thorn of the flesh away from me. Paul began to take pleasure in it. The Scripture says in Second Corinthians twelve nine through ten. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So it said, this is crazy. It says in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, it, I was given a thorn in the flesh. So the last time something bad happened to you, did you ever think that it might have been the Lord's protection over your life? 
instead of looking at the source of where that came from, is like, how dare they did that to me? Or, But didn't we read earlier in the scripture that everything that comes, comes from God? God might be giving that to you as a gift. See, Paul was in danger of being puffed up. It says, so God gave him a gift of a thorn in the flesh in the flesh, right? So maybe, and, and this is, I'm telling you, wow, this really hit me. Could it be like the thing I wanted to attain so badly, and it always feels like it's in my reach, and I've never really reached it? Could it be God saying that if you got it, your character wouldn't have been able to handle it? You would have shipwrecked your own character? I mean, Paul was getting vision after vision. That was his sphere. It was the church world, and he was influencing everybody. And he was getting visions and understanding, and yet he needed to be humbled. So God allowed a thorn in the flesh to humble him. I'm telling you, for me, this is like, whoa, maybe it's your protection, God. That's kept me from some things because like, and I said earlier, he has a prescription that's just perfect for you. What you need is not what I need to keep me humble. And I'm so thankful that he is in charge of that prescription for me. He is in charge of it. I don't have to worry this one stopped my promotion from coming. It's not them. They don't, don't put your boss or, or anybody over you in that position. They are not God. God will allow something in you if you want it to be, to humble you. You know what I mean? He, if you want to grow, he's going to grow you to be able to handle it. And you could say, okay, well, God, all right, let's talk. Maybe, maybe I'm not seeing something. Maybe I have a blind spot here in my own character that needs to be changed. And let's have that conversation, Lord. I give you permission to go there and do, do business in my heart. All right, so that was the question. Do you look at trying situations as an invitation and means of grace to humble you? All right, that was one, three. Now number four. Oh, number four. <laughs> These worked me over this week, so I... Okay, number four. Mm. So when your buttons get pressed, what comes out of you? Because they're going to get pressed. Is it the old man that's going to come out? Or is it the new man? You know, we had a pastor once that punched our friend in the stomach. Because the Lord told him to do it. We were in a deliverance ministry. And he did. And you know what this man did? He laughed. He laughed, and that's how we all knew he got his freedom, because this man had problem with anger. <laughs> when your buttons are pressed, because they're going to be pressed in life, what comes out of you? Oh, and I have something to say about this, too. Now, you could go on a missions trip and be on your best behavior. Oh. I'm going on the outreach. We're going to go on the outreach this afternoon, and I'm on my best behavior. What about the day-to-day? -day? We can all put it on for a moment. What comes out of you when your buttons are pressed, when your stomach is punched? Wow. 
<laughs> Are we the donkey that Jesus can ride on? Will we let him be for the king of glory to come in? Will we be the donkey? Okay, so I have, it's Mother's Day, right? Everybody, every mother's supposed to get a flower. No, we're giving out towels. <laughs> so who's going to open the towels are on both sides? And you know what? I'm not even going to ask you if you want a towel. <laughs> you find something to do with this towel. Be a servant. <laughs> Be a servant. Be the donkey that Jesus could ride on. Right? Thank you, Jesus. Everybody gets one, men and women. Everyone gets one. Jesus chose a donkey. Jesus chose a foot basin. And Jesus chose a towel. And on our watch in this city, we're going to show forth... The humility of Christ in our workplaces where we live with those annoying neighbors next door, those contentious people around us, we are going to show forth the humility of Christ. We're going to put it on. One of my favorite scriptures with all this is Colossians 3.12. Clothe yourselves. Put it on like a garment. Humility. So even as we're, we're closing with that, I want us all to say this prayer. We all got it, right? I mean, no, none of us are exempt of pride. When you don't think you have, you got it anyway. You know, it's like... <laughs> it was Moses that said, the most humble man that ever lived. <laughs> That's what he... Jesus. Okay, thank you, Lord. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, and if you would repeat it, if you agree with it. Okay. Lord, take from me every form and degree of pride, whether from evil spirits or my own corrupt nature, and awaken in me a desire to be clothed in humility. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.